Oh, well, it's so good to be with all of you this weekend as we continue our journey into the extraordinary unfolding story of God. Uh, As many of you know, if you've been around for a while, uh, we are currently from a historical standpoint uh, in that place uh, in the historical story of God where the early New Testament church is emerging. So we're in the book of Acts. Uh, The book of Acts is that story where the gospel as we discover it after Jesus has come, lived, died, resurrected, and ascended, is now moving from Jerusalem outward into the rest of the world, just like Jesus said it would. So Jesus had said, I'm gonna make you my witnesses in Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria, and then the outer parts of the world. And so we really are watching the gospel emerge in this way. So we've been following that story, and as we followed the story, watching the gospel go out of Jerusalem through the disciples, and then as it began, lots of opposition, happened. One of the men that opposed the gospel very vehemently was a man named Saul uh, or Paul, depending on whether you're using his Roman name or his, or his Hebrew name. And uh, he encounters Jesus in a very supernatural way on a road on his way to Damascus and then comes to believe wholeheartedly in Christ because of that encounter. Then in that belief, he begins to live his life informed by the gospel. And so we get to follow his life as he becomes one of the most prominent carriers of the gospel in the book of Acts. So we've been following Paul now for a while. We're on his second missionary journey, if you will. He left Antioch with Silas. He went into Galatia. He picked up Timothy in Galatia. He traveled over across Asia Minor, got to the Aegean Sea, picked up Luke there, who, was the, who is the author of the book of Acts, crosses the Aegean Sea into Macedonia. Macedonia, as you know, is Roman territory in a real Roman way. So it's Roman territory with Jewish influence rather than where we've been, which is Jewish territory with Roman influence. And so now we're traveling through Macedonia. It's a wholeheartedly different cultural context than we've been in when we were in uh, Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria and those sections. We followed Paul and his entourage through several cities, and we ended up in Corinth. So we're currently in Corinth. There you are. Now you're with me. We're sitting in Corinth. Paul's been there a while. Uh, He's been doing ministry there. God has him in Corinth for quite a while. And of course, Corinth is that city uh, where, you know, uh, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. So we're in kind of an interesting territory here. Uh, Lots of kind of not so kosher things going on. And this is exactly where Paul wants, uh, I mean, where God wants Paul to do ministry. While in Corinth, though we'll get to know that story a bit better as we continue in the book of Acts, we are going to take uh, a few weeks and go and sit in a room with Paul at a desk. And we're going to watch Paul pen a letter. He's writing a letter, in fact two letters, almost back to back to a church that he had launched or planted in one of the cities in Macedonia on his way down, a church in Thessalonica. So remember, he was in Philippi first, then in Thessalonica, then moved down. So he's writing back to the Thessalonians. And so we're going to just get to experience that letter for a couple weeks and and really glean some incredible instruction and some beautiful truths from this letter that Paul is writing to the Thessalonians. Now when you jump into this letter, if you were here last week, you'll remember, uh, the tone of this letter is an incredibly encouraging tone. It's more than encouraging, in fact. When you sit down with Paul, if you knew nothing of his journey through Macedonia, if you had no idea how long he had traveled through there or how long he'd stayed in every city, you might think 
that he had been in Thessalonica for a very long time and perhaps even returned there multiple times over a period. Why? Because Paul is writing with, first of all, a tone of celebration, celebrating the incredible faithful lives that the people in Thessalonica are living, the church in Thessalonica. And remember in, Thess- in Thessal- 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, he writes, Men, I, I, I rejoice in remembering your great work of faith, your great labor of love, and your great steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, these are celebrations of deeply mature things. And so you would think, if you didn't know any better, that Paul must have been with them for a long period of time, over a number of months or years, and now the fruit of this longevity is this faithful, discipled, mature group of people. And and also in this letter, along with this tone of celebration, is also a tone of deep connection. When he writes this letter, he's like, my heart longs for you, I I miss you, I've tried everything to get to you, I want to be with you, you guys are dear to me, you guys are awesome, I mean, I I, I can't tell you how much you mean to me, you're the, the glory of my crown, I mean, it's just crazy what he writes. And so these things that he writes with this kind of connectiveness, again, what it would tell you, if you didn't know any better, is that Paul must have spent a great deal of time with these people. Because we know in our context that deep, faithful maturity and deep connectiveness between human beings happens over a long period of time. And yet, here's the crazy part. When you look at the story in Thessalonica, here's what you know. Because we know, because we were there, right? You know that Paul was not there long. In fact, he was there very short. He was there so short that as far as we can tell, he was probably there as little as four weeks One month in Thessalonica. And remember, when he entered into Thessalonica, he entered into a context where most of the people he's now calling faithful worshipped idols or were deeply embedded in religious, traditional uh, uh, lawfulness, self-righteousness that they were stuck in. So you're not even talking about arriving at a decent church and then maturing it over four weeks. You're talking about arriving at pagan sinners who are worshiping idols, and four weeks later, they are laying their life down for you, and they have become dear to you. That's crazy. Remember in the story, Jason, who had become a believer apparently within the first three weeks of Paul being there, And they come to Jason's house in Acts chapter 17 to find Paul. They can't find him. They drag Jason out into the street, and they're going to beat him instead. And Jason doesn't give Paul up. He doesn't go, oh, hold, hold. I've only known the dude for three weeks, man. I mean, he had some message about Jesus. No, Jason goes, do whatever you must, but I'm I'm not telling you where Paul is. And he risks his life for Paul. Who does that? Well, people that are deeply connected and have long relationships. And yet this is all in a matter of four weeks. Doesn't that beg a question? How on earth, how on earth is the gospel impact in Thessalonica so deep, so supernatural, so incredible that in a period of four weeks you have deep human connections and an incredible outpouring of faithful maturity? Whoa. Well, Thankfully, Paul actually begins to give us clues into that, and that's the journey we get to take now into the book of Thessalonians. So grab your Bibles, if you will, and let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, if you're using a smart device or one of the Bibles you brought, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you're using one of our Bibles that we provide, it's page 640, page 640 in our Bibles. 
Now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 is the introduction we dealt with last week, which is this tone of celebration, this tone of connectiveness, and this tone of, wow, you are having massive impact on the world around you, not only because you are preaching the gospel, but because your outward expression is the authentication of your inward belief. You are living what you actually know to be true, right? Which is what we know is a life full of belief, full of faith, or faithful. And so this is our invitation. In chapter two, what Paul does is he begins by saying this. Now guys, you know when we came to you the kind of life we lived among you. It's a very interesting next step into this uh, sequence that Paul is laying out in this letter. So he says to them, so glad about your faithfulness, incredible the impact it's having uh, in your region and regions beyond you in Macedonia and Achaia where he is in Corinth. It's having massive impact because everybody's hearing about your faithfulness. And then he says, you know that when we came to you, that's Paul and his entourage, we lived lives among you that were what? Essentially what he's saying, they were faithful. They were full of faith, full of belief. In other words, the life Paul lived among them for those four weeks demonstrated the authenticity of what he had encountered with Jesus. So he wasn't there to take from them, to utilize his position with them. He was there to pour out what he knew to be true because he had encountered Jesus. And then Paul says this, as he lays that out in verse seven of chapter two, these words are born. Let's read verse six first, because look what it says. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. So you see what Paul's saying? He just said, remember when we came to you, we lived faithfully among you, and though we had the right, there it is, as an apostle in Christ to make demands of you, We made no such demands because we were not there for ourselves. We were there to give ourselves to you. Now watch what he says. But, verse 7, we were not there to to, to demand things, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, here it is, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become dear to us. What is Paul saying? Saying to the Thessalonican church, when we came to you, we did not just bring you the message of the gospel. We did not just swoop in to give you a quick message, and then swoop out so that you would know truth. No, 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 no. When we came to you, we came to give you our lives. We came to live among you in a manner that demonstrated the gospel so that you would see Christ in us and Christ would be born out of us so that when we preached the gospel to you, you would have experienced Jesus. This is what Paul is laying out. Look what he's doing. It's an extraordinary expansion of what we've already found out last week when we dealt with the introduction of this letter. We said last week that when we live out of right belief because we are so convinced of Christ because we have encountered him that we are living out of that informed by that we call that a life full of faith or full of belief, a faithful life. Faithfulness is the fruit of right belief. You with me? 
So we said that last week, and when we live faithfully, in other words, we believe so rightly, so we're so convinced of Christ that that's what informs us, then faithfulness authenticates the gospel and has massive missional implications. We said last week. Now, here's what Paul's saying. The reason you guys in such a short period of time have, are having such extraordinary outward expression of an inward belief is because when you came to believe, you believed not just intellectually but with power, right? Remember he said that in chapter one and now he's giving us a clue. The reason you believed with such power is because when we were among you, we did not just give you an intellectual message of the gospel, we lived lives that were so extraordinary to you because they were lived out of belief that when we shared the gospel, you believed fully and therefore you now live faithfully. See, faithfulness is not necessarily the, the end result of longevity of maturing. Faithfulness is the consequence of how convinced you are of the truth of Christ. When you are utterly convinced, there is only one thing that can come out of you, which is that you will live informed by the gospel. And so Paul is saying, because I was utterly convinced, I lived faithfully among you, and because I lived faithfully among you, you were utterly convinced. And because you were utterly convinced, you lived faithfully, and now because you're living faithfully, all of Macedonia and Achaia are becoming utterly convinced. And so Paul is setting up for us a pattern that is beautiful in how we are to carry the gospel. He's giving us the pattern by which the gospel unfolds in us and through us. See, it's not a work. It is the consequence of encounters and then living out of those encounters. The gospel is best moved when people are encountering Jesus and then living out of that encounter, out of that right belief. And this is exactly what Jesus told us. In fact, it's exactly what Jesus set up, isn't it? Think about Jesus for a second. What did Jesus do when he came to this planet? Did he come to give us a message? And you go, oh, that's a trick question. I think he did. Did he not come for a message? He did, he did. Did he come to give us only a message? No. See, if he came to give us only a message, the story would have gone very differently. Jesus would have come at night so that when he was glowing in the dark, we could all see him. He would have come on a white horse flying through the air because that would have been utterly convincing, right? That's scary. He would have swooped in and he would have shouted to the world, hey world, you're lost, I get it. You blew it in the garden. I'll tell you the story real quick. Now I'm here to come and rescue you and he would have unpacked the gospel most articulately, more than any of us ever could. He would have told us about his incredible love for us, and then he would have swooped out of planet Earth and said, follow me, right? But he didn't do any of that. What did he do? He didn't come on a white horse. He didn't come as a king. He crawled his way into a human body inside the womb of a virgin. He was born through the standard birth canal we all went through. He started his life in blood and sweat. He lived on this planet, going through the growing pains that all human beings have had to go through. He cut his feet, he hurt his hands, he walked among us. He grew up as a child needing to learn to talk. <laughs> learn to talk. He needed to, he needed to learn the same things we had to learn. Then as he learned them, 
He had to begin to live a life like you and I, with struggle and temptation and realities around him pressing in, a life far more difficult than you and I, truthfully. And then when he became old enough to begin to walk around, he walked around giving what away? A message? No, not a message. He gave himself away every day. Follow Jesus. Follow him through the gospels at any point in time. What is he doing? Every message he's giving is this. I'm here for you. I'm here for you. I am the living water. I am the bread of life. I am salvation. I am Messiah. I am the light of the world. I am the one that will save you. I am the way. I am the truth. I am everything. I am everything. It was always him. He always came to give us himself. He gave himself to the woman at the well and to the woman caught in adultery, to the the lepers and the blind and the dead and the sick. He gave himself to the religious, pious Uh, leaders. He gave himself to the rich and the poor. He gave himself to everyone he encountered. He gave himself. And then in an ultimate act of giving himself, he allowed the human race to try him, to beat him, to crucify him, and to watch him die. And it says he made himself a servant to us, even a servant to death on the cross. He gave himself And then he resurrected so that we we would have life. Yes, he has a message to tell us. The message is here. I'm here. I'm giving myself to you. I'm here to save you. And then you know what Jesus did? Jesus said this. If you are going to follow me. So once you've encountered me and we have this massive encounter with Jesus that suddenly awakens us to the realities that we now know, that it literally authors faith in us, the encounter with Christ authors in us faith, he authors faith in us, then what happens? He says, if you're gonna follow me, here's how it rolls. I want you to memorize the four spiritual laws, the Romans road, and seven other possible ways to bring the message of the gospel to people, and then I want you to share it with everyone as awkward as it may be. No, that's not in the Bible, you can go read it, it's not in there, I'm making it up. He never said that. Here's what he actually said, if you're gonna follow me every day, take up your cross, and follow me. Do you hear the active reality in that? Here's what he's saying. Yes, do I need you to share the gospel? Of course, that's part of your life, but that's not why you exist. You exist to take on the brokenness and the, and the struggle and the, and the realities of those around you in this world and to carry for them what they cannot carry. You are to give yourself to them as an ambassador of me. You carry me by giving yourself away. This is what Paul then said. See, he said in multiple other writings, things like this, for I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I do not live by sight, by observation, by feeling. I live by faith in the Son of God. See, Paul said, once I encounter Jesus, I now live by that belief, by that reality, by that truth, and it informs all of it for me, all of it. My life is not my own. I don't get to say, well, I, I don't, I don't, you, you don't want me to change. You want to change who I am. I hear that all the time. You don't want to change who I am. I go, no, no, I do, absolutely. So does Jesus. He wants to make you like himself because you, you no longer live, and Christ now lives in you and me. This is an extraordinary privilege. It's not a burden. 
So Paul says, I don't live, Christ lives. And then Paul says things like this. Since Christ lives in me, the life I now live, I live full of faith, right? I live by faith. I live by belief. It wasn't a behavior, it was a belief. He said, I live this life believing what Jesus said and therefore everything you see in my life is going to play out just like Jesus. Now Paul blew it just like we do, but then even in blowing it, Repentance is part of what Jesus taught us. So even in our failure, we're given spaces to once again believe and act. So Paul says this, now that I live not my life but Christ's, he says this in writings, as I follow Jesus, follow me. Follow me as I follow Christ. What an incredible statement. Follow me as I follow Jesus. Paul didn't think he was perfect but he knew that his life was so utterly transformed by the encounter with Jesus that he would now live informed by Christ. And therefore the life he would live would be a life worth following because Jesus is worth following and he would be living the life of Christ. Listen to what Paul writes to the church in Philippi. He writes to the Philippian church in chapter four. Listen to these words, it's incredible. Philippians chapter four, verse nine. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, put these things, uh, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. What you've heard and received and learned and seen in me, put these things into practice, and the God of peace will guard your heart and mind. Right? Paul was constantly saying, yes, I'm utterly convinced of Christ. I'm going to live out of that. I'm going to live full of faith. Now you follow me as I follow Jesus. And then the Thessalonians were recipients of that. You see, Paul's encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus led him to believe powerfully and fully. Then Paul's life before the Thessalonican church led them to encounter Jesus through Paul and live convinced and therefore out of their right belief they lived faithfully. Paul celebrates that. Wow, you guys got it. I mean, you guys didn't believe intellectually. You believed in power by the Holy Spirit because we were among you and lived it out. We authenticated Jesus to you. Then guess what the Thessalonians did? They lived their lives out of belief and their lives became the authentication of the gospel for all of Macedonia and Achaia. And Paul said, many are now coming to faith believing fully because they didn't just hear the gospel from you, they saw it in you. This is our incredible privilege. Jesus came and gave himself for you and I so that we might be free. There it is. You're free. You're free. You're free from condemnation. You're free from the mess that you've made. You're free from the mess others have made for you. You're free. The consequences of that eternally have been taken from you by Jesus. Galatians chapter five, verse one. It is for freedom that I have set you free. Not to enslave you to my purposes, but just to have you be free. But when we live out our freedom and we live in our freedom and we live by that freedom, the gospel, then what happens is we're invited to become, once again, the people we were created to be. What is our created purpose? Again, we're gonna come back to this 10,000 more times. To know God fully and to make him known fully. That's what you were made for, that's what I was made for. Every circumstance, every relationship, every resource you have is tools by which you know God more and make him known more. You married? It's there to help you know God more and help you make God known more. Marriage wasn't to make you happy. <laughs> Newsflash. Whoa. 
Yeah, it's to help you know God more and to help you make God known more. You got kids? <laughs> They're given to you as a gift to help you know God more and help you make God known more. And every time they test you, they are giving you space to run to the gospel. You have friends? Don't worry, they'll be enemies. You have enemies? Don't worry, they might be friends. See, are you in relationship with people? They are there to help you know God and to give you the opportunity to make God known. Do you have neighbors, coworkers? I mean, you name it, every relationship. Are you doing really well financially or are you struggling right now? That is given to you to help you know God more, to help you make him known more. Doesn't matter which side of the coin you're on, it's all given to us for that. And when we encounter Christ because of the authentic, faith-filled lives of those who bring Jesus to us, we then live out of that belief and faithfulness is born in us. Remember, faithfulness is not a work you muster up. It is what comes out of you when you believe rightly, when your encounter with Jesus is daily and regular. And whenever we forget, whenever we forget momentary unbelief, what comes out of us? Sin. That's right. Sin. It's not a behavior. It's just a reality. And then when you sin, which you will, then you go back to the gospel, believe rightly, repent. That is to say, oops, so sorry. And you go back to believing rightly. Then what's born out of you? Faithfulness. You see, it's not a one-time deal. You're either faithful or you're not. No, it's a daily, moment-by-moment reality, which is what makes it so beautiful because we can be faithful again and again and again, even though we were not yesterday or five minutes ago. And this is our privilege. That's why Paul writes to the church in Corinth, which is where he is right now, right? He's in Corinth right now. Later on, he's gonna write back to them. And when he writes back to the church in Corinth, the very place he's writing the letter of Thessalonians to them, celebrating their faithfulness, he writes these words to the church in Corinth. Listen to this. The second letter he writes to them, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's our freedom. If you're in Christ, the old is gone and the new has come. Welcome to the new life. Yeah, but you don't understand. I'm still living like a crazy fool. Yeah, I understand. I understand. That's, that's a bummer for you because you're producing consequences that are going to bite you. But don't worry. You're still free. See, don't worry, you're still free because your freedom was never based on your behavior, ever. It will never be. It will always be based on the work of Jesus. So if you're in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. It is a statement of fact. That's our freedom. Now watch what he does. Watch what he does. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. There it is. You didn't do it. He did it. But it doesn't stop there. Now he says this. And, and it's from God who reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He's gifted us with the privilege of once again imaging him, making him known. This is our privilege. Since you are free, live in that freedom. Choose to believe God's instructions, believe God's commands, believe God's story for you. Believe that when you choose God's way over what you want, it's ultimately gonna lead to freedom. And if you choose your way instead of God, it'll ultimately lead to bondage on this planet. Will you still be free for eternity? Absolutely, because that was never based on what you do. Will you miss out on the privilege of making God known in resources, relationships, and circumstances, yes, you'll miss out on that privilege momentarily. What a bummer. 
don't, it's not worth it, right? So here's what he says, listen to this. In that same passage, he says this, therefore, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. What does he mean by that? When I have encountered Christ through someone else's life and message, then it's not just a message I intellectually understood, it was something I've seen in somebody else. Wow, your faithfulness is mind-blowing. And then you share the message, and I'm like, wow, then I encounter Jesus. Then out of that encounter, I begin to live a life informed by Christ. Here's what happens. Now my life becomes the life through whom God makes his appeal. See, I'm not making the appeal. God is making his appeal through the faithfulness of my life that is not born out of a work I'm doing, but born out of what he's already done in me, which is convincing me that he is, in fact, exactly who he is. That's why Jesus says in Hebrews, I am the author of your faith and the finisher of your faith. I gave it to you because I was the one that gave you the encounter. I was the one that birthed it in you when you had the encounter, and I'm the one now allowing faithfulness to be born out of you as you choose daily to say, I believe God, I don't believe me. And then we become great ambassadors for the gospel. What we are invited into, you and I, is not to become people that share the gospel regularly with others. We are invited to become people who lay our lives down regularly for others, including sharing the gospel with them. You with me? The sharing the gospel part is what's included in the living faithfully part, and you get to live faithfully by this simplicity. Believe him instead of you. There it is. It's not a set of behaviors. It's not do these 26 things and you are considered faithful, check the box. It's believe him every time instead of you. And, and, and it's not always gonna be easy because what he's going to show you a lot of times will defy what feels most freeing, right? Because a lot of times we're in hard messes, our own and others, and we are called into being full of faith in those, but we don't feel full of faith. And what we struggle with is belief. Do I believe what my heart's telling me, what my feelings are telling me, what my observations are telling me, or do I believe God? That's it. And when you believe God, the ambassadorial privilege you have to make Christ known will be yours, and you will carry the gospel, and it'll be beautiful. And that will produce what? It will produce authentication of the gospel and bring freedom to you and those around you. Boom. Encounters with Jesus produce faithfulness because they come out of right belief, which produces freedom for you and others. So what does it look like to give our lives away? Paul shows us, actually. It's not that complicated. It's not even, not even hard, okay? It, it has consequences that are hard, but it's actually not a complicated, hard thing. One, you will notice that Paul doesn't only share the story of the gospel, he also shares with them, what did he say? My life, the story of my life. Does Paul tell his story? Do we know that in this particular story? No, it doesn't tell us in Thessalonica that he went and he sat at the synagogue and said, let me tell you about Damascus and a road I was on one day toward Damascus and let me share with you what Jesus did. He doesn't tell his story that way, but you know what Paul does do? In letter after letter after letter that he writes from here on out, he tells parts of his story in the letter. You'll, you'll notice Paul does that all the time. He'll say, man, once I was a guy who used to kill Christians. Just want you to know that. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I bought into the law, man, in a big way. I, I did terrible, terrible things. You see, I have to understand who I was to understand what I encountered on that road to Damascus. So Paul will share about his early life. He will tell people. But Paul doesn't only share 
about his early life, I used to be. In some of the letters, he's actually presently vulnerable, okay? Take Romans chapter seven. Romans chapter seven, he writes this. I don't know why I do what I don't wanna do and don't do what I wanna do, and when I wanna do what's right, I do what's wrong, when I wanna do what's wrong, I do what's wrong, and I just don't understand how I can, and he goes, oh, it's, it's almost like he babbles for a second. I'm just so frustrated, and my flesh is against me, and I hate it, right? He's just babbling away. And then when he's done with that paragraph, and he's just laid out this vulnerable moment of like, this is horrible. His next line, Romans chapter eight, verse one. Therefore, so that connects it to that. Because I live this life, that's just this big struggle right now, and I feel like I just can't seem to get it right. Therefore, ask Jesus to help you behave rightly. Nope, that's not in there. Go read it. I'm making it up. So you guys ought to know this. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For what my behavior and the law could never get right, he did for me when I couldn't. That's what Paul writes. He says, are you struggling? So am I. Hello. But let me show you how the gospel has encountered my life and changed that for me. See, when you give your life away, it begins here. Don't just give the gospel story away. Give your story away. Be vulnerable. Our culture tells you and me that our vulnerability is weakness. When you're vulnerable and people know your weaknesses, they will think of you as weak. That is a lie from the pit of hell. That is not true. Our vulnerability is our strength because our vulnerability produces the space to bring the gospel in and show people how badly we need Jesus. And that's our purpose. Here's me. Thank God, here's the gospel. That's why I'm who I am. So give your story away. Paul also gives his time away. You'll notice all the time. He comes and he just invests, even in Thessalonians or when he writes to the Philippians or when he writes to the Romans in Rome. He goes, man, I just, I, I wanna be back with you. I just want you to know I, I, I wish I could come again. I've tried to come numerous times. And you wanna look at Paul and say, dude, you're super busy. You don't have to rush around all over the known world. And he goes, no, man, I just, I, I wanna be there. I wanna get there. Now there's a reality where if we have a savior complex, we overdo it and give ourselves away to an extent that we kill ourselves and then that's no good, right? Some of us live there. But what I'm telling you is this, that we have to make ourselves available to those that God invites us into. See, we're so busy building our own stories so busy trying to navigate our own story so we can come up with some secure version of a story that sometimes in the invitation God has with a neighbor or a friend or a coworker or a, one of your children or your spouse or an enemy or a whatever, we, we just miss it because we're so stuck on the things that we have to get to so that the whole world will be well. And Jesus says, hey, just take a, take a deep breath. Partly the way you give yourself away is just by being available. And then Paul gave his resources away all the time, even with the Thessalonians, this is what he said. He said this, when I was among you, notice I worked my tail off because I don't wanna be a burden to you. I wanted to make sure that I had enough that I wasn't gonna ask you for anything. Paul does this over and over again in several contexts in his letters. He goes, listen, my, my resources are yours, and not just my financial resources, my resources, who I am. Paul was incredibly generous. So what we see in Paul's life is this. He was vulnerable, he was available, and he was generous. When you are vulnerable, you are available to the Spirit of God when he wants to call you into stories and you are generous. That is the way by which you and I give our lives away. 
That's how we say to someone, I didn't come here to give you a message. I came here to give you my life. I didn't just share with you the gospel of God. I shared with you my life and the way the gospel related to it. And this is our privilege. This is our calling. This is our invitation to find spaces where we are giving our life away, not just the gospel. For some of you here, you're already doing that. But it's heavy. It's hard. And God wants to whisper to you, you're giving your life away well. Don't have it be so heavy. This is the privilege I've given you. This is what you get to do. Would you rather just be sharing a message? No. You're living this out. Be excited that it's heavy because it's what you get to do. This is the invitation we have. So, if you're gonna be a gospel carrier, work on intimacy with God to fix your eyes on Jesus wherever you're able so that your right belief births faithfulness, so that your faithfulness authenticates the gospel and births freedom, and so that your freedom creates encounters for others with Jesus so that they will come to rightly believe and out of right belief live faithfully and out of their faithfulness birth freedom and their freedom will birth encounters with Jesus and so on and so on and so on and hence the words of Jesus. If you follow me, take up your cross daily and follow me because if you lose your life for my sake, you'll be finding it anyways. But if you try to keep your life intact, you will lose the life I made you for. Wow. This is the beauty of our freedom. Let's pray. God, as we come into this space in this beautiful letter, thank you so much that you were using Paul both for the church in Thessalonica as well as now for us to not only celebrate the power of faithfulness but to demonstrate to us how faithfulness was even born in us. That because of somebody else's faithfulness to you out of right belief, we came to believe rightly. And now we live our lives informed by that. God, would you help us all in this room to dare to enter into a space with you where we say, God, where am I forgetting who I am? Where am I forgetting where I've come from? Where am I forgetting the encounters I've had with you? So that I would live not out of right belief, but out of momentary lapses in belief. God, none of us here want to live in sin. We don't want to do that. Though we know we are free even in that by your gracious gift of salvation, we know that there are consequences to sin that are devastating to us and those around us, and we don't want to live there. So we're asking you to encounter daily uh, so deeply with us through our pursuit of intimacy with you and through the people around us who are faithful that we would so rightly know the truth that what would be born out of us is just faithfulness. May you use our faithfulness to be your appeal <laughs> to those we encounter so that we would know freedom and they would know freedom. We love you, Jesus. Amen.